Want to fly somewhere? Looking for cheap flights or cheap tickets? Then call. That's right. Call the low-cost airline travel hotline now for prices so low, we can't publish them anywhere. Low-cost airlines has all kinds of cheap travel deals. Fly domestically and save up to 75%. You can even fly internationally and save even more. Yes, fly anywhere in the world and save a lot of money on your plane tickets. We'll even save you money with cheap travel deals on hotels, rental cars, even complete travel packages. So don't book your tickets until you call us first for the absolute cheapest prices on U.S. and international airline tickets and hotels. Call right now for prices so low they can't be published. Travel experts are here 24-7 to help. 800-296-1337-800-296-1337-800-296-1337. That's 800-296-1337. The thoughts and opinions expressed in the following program are those of the program's participants and do not necessarily represent those of station staff, management, and advertisers. They were there when history was made. Five seconds left in the game. Do you believe in miracles? Yes! Inside the 20. Touchdown! A raconteur is a storyteller. Welcome to the Sports Raconteur. And with two out, you talk about a roll of the dice. This is it. Lewis gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! The sports raconteurs dust off the great American art of storytelling. From the players, coaches, media, the people who were there. Smith corks one in the right down the line. It may go. Here's Stephen Maggi. Welcome to Sports Rock and Tours, a show that presents the observations, recollections, and memories of a select group of storytellers who represent the past half century or so of American sports. The NFL season kicks off next week, so we're going to tackle football again this weekend. Today, you'll meet two of the finest minds in the game. First on the field, you will hear from the soon-to-be Hall of Famer, Coach Dick Vermeil. Then we head up to the press box to meet the legendary writer who covered the New York Giants for decades, Dave Klein. The NFL takes pride in great coaches. Many are connected to one team, like Lombardi with the Packers, Walsh with the 49ers, and Bilicek with the Patriots. But there are a few who've managed to win in a number of different cities. And one of the very best is with us today, Coach Dick Vermeil. Well, Coach, I want to start with you back at San Jose State. That's where I went to school a long time ago initially. Your coach, I believe, was the same guy that I had teach a class, Bob Bronson. Yeah, Dr. Bronson, you bet. He was my coach my first year there, Bob Kitchell my second year. Then we, uh, Bob and I maintained, it was actually Dr. Bronson, uh, maintained a relationship all the way until his passing. Yeah, great man, very influential in my career. Well, that's what I was wondering, because I remember him in the class I was at saying that he recommended you and Bill Walsh for particular jobs, and they always put the same thing. He goes, if I had a son, I would want him to be Dick Vermeule. And I thought, what a compliment that is. Yeah, that really is. And he has, he has said that to me. You know, my first coaching head coaching job was at Hillsdale High School in San Mateo. Yeah. And he called me up one day, Dr. Bronson did, and said, Dick, hey, so-and-so, is, uh, Frank Collin is going to call you from 
Hillsdale High School. He's the athletic director and retiring head football coach. And they're going to hire you. Just say yes. <laughs> That's great. Well, I went to Sarah High School, which was really close to Hillsdale High School, and you know oh, yeah. you were well known at that time. I lost to him three years, uh, three years in a row. <laughs> yeah, Sarah had a powerhouse for a while. Oh, there. you bet they had. Yeah, they had good football teams. You, know. you bet, really good teams. Well, I think it's interesting too when you were at San Jose State quarterback and you played against Tom Flores. Boy, two great coaches. Who knew that you would come uh, battle again in the Super Bowl? Yeah, good coach, good person. Yeah, he's a great guy. And, of course, he, he beat me in the Super Bowl, and he also beat me when he was at COP, and I was at San Jose State. So you get your first big shot is down at UCLA, and that had to be exciting. You're going into the Pac-8, and UCLA was not like USC or some of those schools that were always good. Sometimes they were, sometimes they weren't. And you got them to the Rose Bowl. Yeah, our second year there, we beat SC to go to the Rose Bowl. Then we upset Ohio State, and that's the what drew the attention to the Philadelphia Eagles owner, Leonard Toast, to fly out there and offer me the Eagle coaching job. So a lot of things happened when I was at UCLA. Great place to work at that time. I'm sure it still is. It's a lot more modern out there, more buildings. We didn't even have a weight room for the football team when I was there. Wow, yes, it's a whole nother world. And what was it like? Because you spent your whole career on the West Coast, and then you head off to Philadelphia. I mean, that's kind of a cultural change, wasn't it? Yeah, not so much for me because it was all football. I was in behind closed doors all the time around the field. For my wife, out in the community and in the shops and the grocery stores, she found it to be a very difficult adjustment in contrast to California. Not bad, but just totally different. It took Carol and my three kids uh, a full year to make the adjustment. And that makes sense because it is a different cultural setting. But one thing you picked up on right away, and I guess you've done this throughout your entire career, is you seem to get into the history. I know like with Chuck Bednarik had been uh, separated from the Eagles for a while, and you made sure that he was brought back in. That's kind of important to you, right, to, to remember that history and to help set up a new culture. Well, you know, Chuck Bednarik was a symbol of winning, and it's been a long time since the Eagles had won. And I met him at a scholar-athlete banquet one night, and I heard him telling uh, stories, and he wasn't sort of upset with the Eagles and the ownership and that kind of stuff. And so I went over and introduced myself and said, hey, let's get together and drink some wine and just talk about the future of the Eagles. He said, sure. So a week later, we met. We drank more than one bottle of wine together. I asked him to be an honorary coach on Sundays and come to practice when he can. And so he did. We paid him a stipend, not much. But it ended up building a great, great relationship between Chuck and I and Emma. Emma's still living, God bless her, at 97 or 8 years old. Uh, wonderful lady. And uh, Chuck was a special piece of work. That's why he's in the Hall of Fame. That was the last time, really, they had won. You know, they hadn't been in the playoffs. That goes back to 1960. And you get them in there. Uh, when you came in, how do you change the uh, culture? Because they weren't used to winning. Well, a lot of it is changing the people recognizing those you have in the program that are willing to change their way of doing things and really go to work and then eliminate those that don't and then only bring new players in that will meet your philosophy and work standards and and it gives you a chance and we didn't have any draft choices my first three years too so we just added practice time we figured we figured if you stayed on the field longer you could get better thinking this there's no correlation between working less and getting better. I learned that a long time ago. So we just worked very, very hard, and fortunately we started winning. We got lucky on certain guys like Robert Montgomery and Carl Harrison, Charlie Brown, and we traded for the, the Hall of Fame, Claude Humphrey, who was, had been retired, so we brought him out of retirement. 
you know, so we were, you know, Harold Carmichael was here, here, Bill Berge was here, Frank LeMaster was here. So, you know, we had some players, and uh, it amounted to 12 guys off the original roster in 1976, went to the Super Bowl in 1980 that were on the roster when we took the team over. Only 12 guys. But, you know, I think this work ethic you have, one of the reasons people buy into it is not only does it work and you see winning, but also you're a good guy. I mean, everybody has said that. These people all talk about you that played there. Do you think sometimes that the fact that they know it's not baloney, that you really care about them, will make them work harder when you when you try to tell them to do this? This is something that people buy into because they can see the results. Well, they always have to buy into you before they buy into your process. If they trust you, they'll listen to you, especially true in the NFL, uh, to, even more so today. But you, you get them to trust you by being sincere, being honest, and letting them know you care. And the reason you're, you explain why you're working them hard and what you're doing it for and to help them uh, get better so they can play in the league longer and make more money and be more successful than, and have something left when they leave the league. And, and then make sure you don't bring people in that counter all your beliefs and then the beliefs that you have, you've de- developed in your players. So it becomes a real, they say, culture. I say it also becomes a community. Well, and I thought what was interesting, I remember the 1980 Super Bowl, I was covering the Raiders at the time, and everybody, uh, you know, it's easy to Monday morning quarterback, and they're all saying, well, you were too hard on the guys in New Orleans, and that was the difference. But every single Eagle I ever talked to or ever read never went along with that kind of thing. It, you know, they knew what they were in with because they had bought into this a long time before. Yeah, well, you know, the reason we won the NFC Championship game was because of our work ethic, okay? The reason we lost to the Super Bowl was because of our work ethic. (laughs) You you can't please everybody all the time. We lost the Super Bowl because we played minus turnover football, and offensively we just couldn't get untracked. That's all. And they did a – Raiders deserved to beat us. That's all. And they were a better team that day. That happens. Unlike the NBA – Unlike Major League Baseball, it's not a series of best of seven. It's the right. best of one. More with Dick Vermeil, who served as a head coach in the NFL for 15 seasons in just a moment. Remember, all of our interviews can be found on Apple iTunes, Amazon Music, Google Podcasts, TuneIn, Spotify, Pandora, iHeartRadio, wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to Sports Rockin' Tours with Stephen Maggi, coast to coast on the Talk Media Network. I am a non-attorney spokesperson representing a team of lawyers who've helped people that have been injured or wronged. If you've had a revision or removal surgery of a hernia mesh implant after 2008, pay close attention to this message. Hernia mesh manufacturers have recalled some of the mesh material that may have been used in your surgery due to high failure rate. The FDA has even blamed the recalled mesh material for some of the worst of the health issues reported by doctors and patients. If you've had two or more hernia surgeries for the same issue and you're having severe complications, call the legal helpline now. You could receive a free cash award and have your medical expenses covered. And there's no upfront cost to you. They only get paid if you win. So please call now. 800-430-4505. 800-430-4505. 800-430-4505. 
That's 800-430-4505. Okay, Sean, we need to talk about our training budget. We're spending almost $1,500 per employee each year. What's the plan? Well, ma'am, 42% of companies are saying that e-learning has led to an increase in revenue. What does that do about the travel expense? E-learning allows employees to learn wherever they are. Then we need to consider the time away from production. I heard that e-learning takes up to 60% less employee time than traditional classroom training. Perfect. Let's find a curriculum company, a development company, a learning management software company. Actually, Epsilon XR specializes in end-to-end learning solutions with tools such as instructor-led training, online classrooms, simulations, virtual and augmented reality, and curriculum development. Get Epsilon XR on the phone. Epsilon XR creates immersive learning environments that engage with your learner, resulting in improved information retention, which leads to better performance and ultimately an increase in revenue. Learn more at elearning.epsilonxr.com. Who said that? Me, down here. What are you, a yellow booger? I'm a banana slug, Steven. Well, uh, what are you doing in my room? I'm your sense of adventure. Don't you remember me? Don't you know that we miss you? Miss me? Who misses me? You know, all your friends in the forest. The trees, the pond, that little fort that you made out of branches. We all miss you. Mom took me to the forest last year. I'm a slug, Steven. It took me a long time to get here. Oh, I guess that makes sense. The forest is not that far away. Have an adventure today. I'm sure your mom would take you. You're right. I should get out. I want to have fun. Play in puddles, catch frogs, and climb trees. Hey, Mom! Yeah, hon? <gasps> Stephen! What is that in your hand? It's my sense of adventure, Mom. It's telling me we need to get out of the house and have some fun in nature today. Come to the forest where the more adventurous you lives. Check out discovertheforest.org for cool places nearby. Brought to you by the U.S. Forest Service and the Ad Council. You love your dog. Is something bothering him or her and you can't figure out what it is? Maybe they seem slow or lethargic, and maybe they just don't have energy. Wouldn't you like your dog to be living their very best life? PetJoy offers a money-back guarantee on all of its products. If your dog won't eat it or you don't see the results you want, just let us know and we'll make it right. Totally risk-free. What do you have to lose? You can't buy PetJoy multivitamins in a store. The only way you can get them is through this unique radio offer. And if you call right now, learn how to get two bottles free with your order. Turn your dog's life around and make him or her a happy camper. Ain't that right, boy? He said call PetJoy right now. 800-451-1439. 800-451-1439. 800 That's 800-451-1439. This is Sports Rockin' Tours on Talk Media Network. Now, here again, Stephen Maggi. You are listening to Dick Vermeil, who was chosen as the coaching finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame's class of 2022. Do you feel for guys like Bud Grant and Marv Levy that had these great teams and, and people remember that and what they don't remember is how hard it is to go to four Super Bowls? Uh, yeah, that achievement is unbelievable. They're unbelievable. They're just great coaches and they're both in the Hall of Fame. What was yeah. it like? You know, Len, I wanted to ask you about Leonard Toes because he hired you and so forth. You know, I didn't I didn't know him very well at all, but people used to say he was kind of uh, eccentric, much like a, like a Charlie Finley would be in baseball or something. Was he hard to work with, or was he pretty easy for you? 
He was very easy. Yeah, he wanted to win, and he was very frustrated. And he got to the point of just turning the football over to a coach like myself and and say, go coach my football team. Like he says, uh, if they have something serious and you can't handle it, fine, bring it to me. Otherwise, I don't need the aggravation. He says, just go out and win football games. Yeah. He was, he was very pleasant. He was very, very nice to me. And then you, you take a break, and it was stressful. You're an emotional guy. I mean, you don't hide that. You're an emotional guy, and you work hard. I mean, not, I guess all NFL coaches work hard, but it's, it's a lot of your life in those rooms. I always think about those people that just sit there night after night. The film's running while everybody else is relaxed and so forth. What was, well, obviously that worked out because when you came back, you actually won a Super Bowl, and you proved that that wasn't a fluke. You were winning back then. What was it? You just needed some time uh, to, to really to, to get, you know, kind of your philosophy settled or what? No, well, really. I, I allowed a passion to be, become an obsession when I was coaching in Philadelphia. I was, I was a mess, okay? And I just I wasn't as good a football coach as I thought I should be in the frame of mind that I was in. A, a win did not last very long, and a, uh, a loss lasted forever. And so I decided to take a break. I didn't plan to be out 14 years, but I went into broadcasting. I enjoyed it. They paid you twice as much money to broadcast the game, you know, once a week, than coach it seven days a week, okay? Twice as much money. <laughs> In the old days, they did not pay football coaches, you know, a lot of money. So anyway, I enjoyed it, and I had opportunities to go back, but I, I didn't want to find myself in the same hole I was in when I left, so I just stayed away. And I turned down some good opportunities. And the Rams had offered me the job, this was the third time they were offering me the job. So uh, I finally said, you know, if I don't go back now, I, yeah. I never will. So I'm going to do it. And I went back. And I'm so thankful for John Shaw, Georgia Frontier, and, and uh, Jay Zygmunt that, that they gave me the opportunity because they, they helped me make it work. What people don't realize is you were still into the game. You were talking to everybody. Did you find that time off actually helped in terms of talking to all the different coaches and preparing for the game and getting philosophies there and thinking of things? And, and just, be, you know, you never got away from it, but you looked at it from a different perspective. Well, you know, I, I was always right. You know, I never lost a game in 14 years. But, yeah, you know, it, it, it gave me an opportunity to evaluate other coaches' methods Locker room attitudes, player attitudes, uh, coaching attitudes, coaching philosophies, work ethics. And uh, every week it was like in a different classroom. And I did the first five years, I did 90% college games and 10% NFL games. And then the, the next nine years, I did 90% NFL games and 10% college games. So I was around the best coaches. God, there's so many great coaches. You know, you know Tom Coughlin was one of the best I ever saw coach, and that was at Boston College. Yeah. And uh, what's his name at uh, Kansas State? Bill Snyder uh, was maybe the, one of the finest coaches I've ever seen coach. You know, Tom Osborne. And then, you know, go in and, and sit with Don Shula, sit with, you know, Tom Landry, uh, sit with Bud Grant and all these things. As an analyst rather than a football coach, I learned something every week from those guys. Well, that's what John Gruden says, and it seems like that's the only thing I've seen that's kind of comparable to what you went through, is he, he went to broadcasting as well. It'll be interesting to see if he's able to have the same kind of success you did. He says he well, got a lot out of that. I think he can. I think he can do it. I really do. I believe in John Gruden. I've, I've known him since he was a graduate assistant at University of Tennessee working for Johnny Major. So that's a long time ago. And, and I respect him. I've coached against him. He's beaten my butt. And I, I, know, I know what he is. You know, he's a football guy. And I think he's a hell of a football coach. And uh, I really look for him to be very successful before this fifth year. 
And then you go to the Rams, like you were saying, and sometimes you're just living right. Kurt Warner, talk about how you got him. Well, he was recommended to us by a coach that was coaching in the World League, the NFL Europe. And he called us and asked if we would sign him and then assign him to go play in Europe. Because if, if he was on my roster, I could send him to any team I wanted to in Germany. So I, we signed him because we liked the workout. It wasn't outstanding, but he had a workout. You could see he could throw it. We needed another quarterback for training camp, a camp guy. Uh, never did we expect to get what we got. We sent him over to Europe. He played 10 games. He was the best player over there in 10 games. While he was playing there, we found a guard over there that play, ended up being our starting left guard in the Super Bowl, okay, playing on the same team in Germany. But, you know, he went way beyond expectations. What he really needed was a sincere opportunity, not just a tryout, a real opportunity. And when it was dropped in his lap and he became the starter, he never played a game like a rookie. You know, that's which is the, I've never seen anybody do that. And now you listen to these guys that draft these number one, number ones at all. It's kind of, well, we're going to groom him. You know, so-and-so, the, the starting quarterback is going to work with him and help him mature. Heck, Kurt Warner was maturing in the arena league. So if you have it, you got it, you can use it. He was went way beyond expectations. It was great for the city of St. Louis, who had suffered through Cardinal football for so many years, and to have that Rams team come in there, and uh, and it was great to see you back there. It just was one of those things where everything seemed to work, and, and that Tennessee Super Bowl must have been the highlight of uh, your life, I would think, football-wise. Oh, it was one of them. When you get there, you realize it's just a football game. That's what you're doing in the Super Bowl. You're playing a football game. But you know what I really think of all the time is all the coaches that helped me get there, the administrators, the scouting department, the Charlie Armies, the, you know, the Mike Marches, the Al Saunders, the Jim Hannapins, all the coaches. We worked in three years to get there and win that thing. Uh, John, uh, uh, geez, we had so many good assistant coaches, you know. And uh, Frank Gann Sr., our special teams coach, one of the finest coaches I ever worked with, you know. Those kind of guys uh, – uh, just made a difference in that football team. You know, it, Kurt Warner goes from the most valuable player on the scout team in 1998 to the most valuable player in the NFL in 1999, okay? Yeah. No, but that's why he's in the Hall of Fame. Nobody's ever done it before. No one will ever do it again. And then Kansas City, which uh, you didn't uh, win the world title, but I know people who live in Kansas City love that time because, again, you made a proud franchise proud again. Are, were you happy to see them win the Super Bowl just for the people out there? Oh, yeah, starting with the ownership, starting with the Hunt family. Wonderful people. Just, you know, I'm just the only disappointment there is Lamar Hunt was not alive to see it happen. He was one of the finest men you could ever meet, let alone be in the NFL as an owner. But the Kansas City people were wonderful people to work for. I had a great coaching staff. We had a great offense. We were probably the best offense over a five year period in the NFL at that time. But we just couldn't stop people enough to win a big game in the playoffs. So we had two teams with legitimate, legitimate Super Bowl contenders. You know, that was 2003 when we won nine straight, went undefeated, and then ended up 13-3. and three. And then uh, we went 10-6 and six my last year there, and we didn't get in the playoffs. Hey, really great to catch up with you and chat. Thank you so much, Coach. All right. Appreciate it. You take care. Have your collectibles taken over your house? Well, maybe it's time for those treasures to find a new home. Place to go is Baseball Cards and Bobbleheads, where they are always buying. Call Baseball Cards and Bobbleheads at 310-534-4180. That number again is 310-534-4180. You're listening to Sports Rockin' Tours with Steve and Maggi, coast to coast on the Talk Media Network.
And now, another film rental discovery. Hello, welcome to the Indie Film Minute. Paul Thomas Anderson is on every Today's Best Directors list. From Hard Eight, one of our favorites, to the Oscar-winning There Will Be Blood, he brings to his material a singular sensibility which elevates it well above the norm. Punch Drunk Love is an offbeat little story rendered exquisite by iconic imagery and interesting characterizations that are enriched with love, self-actualization, and danger. Adam Sandler. Yes, that Adam Sandler but here in a role that proves that he is more than a water boy. Plays Barry, a dysfunctional man brought up by seven emasculating sisters. Endless teasing has left him deeply withdrawn, obsessive, and with usually carefully controlled anger issues. But Lena, played charmingly by Emily Watson, sees something she likes in Barry, and they begin a tender love affair. In the past, Barry has turned to paid female phone companionship to relieve his loneliness. But now he is being extorted, first by threats, then physical attack. Philip Seymour Hoffman, always a treat, has a rich cameo role as the sleazy extortion entrepreneur. Punch Drunk Love is deceptively simple on the surface, but it runs deep with beauty and individuality. Punch Drunk Love, not in theaters. Discovery through rental. Know someone with a drinking or drug problem? Learn how to get sober after we share these stories. I was 35 with two beautiful children when my life and addiction started to spiral out of control. After my divorce, I went into a depression cycle and started drinking more often and using prescription drugs. After my second DWI and arrest, my ex-husband threatened to take our children away from me. I was 17 when I became addicted to heroin and meth. I thought I could quit on my own, but I couldn't. It hit me when I was arrested. Get sober now. Your private insurance may cover costs and we'll get you here. It's simple. Just call Elite Rehab Placement right now. Please, don't wait. Your life matters to us. 800-213-9264. 800-213-9264. 800-213-9264. Call right now before it's too late. 800-213-9264. When you go to Las Vegas, you have to know what you're going to go see, and there's no better place on the web to go than VitalVegas.com. You hear Scott Robin, our Vegas insider, every week. What are people going to find when they go to your site, Scott? Everything you need to know about Las Vegas, from shows and restaurants and a lot of inside dirt that you won't hear anywhere else. And a lot of photos, too, and a lot of snark, right? That is the case. <laughs> yes. You can't miss it. VitalVegas.com. You don't sit behind a desk every day to earn a living. You're out and about making it happen. And sometimes you get a little bit behind on your paperwork. You know, like bookkeeping and paying your taxes. It's easy to get behind on paying your taxes. It happens to the best of us. And you know what happens next. The big bad IRS comes knocking on your door. And when that happens, you need to call the good old boys at the tax doctor. Let them do what they do best. Deal and negotiate with the IRS so you pay the lowest you can in back taxes that the law allows. We are a 100% U.S.-based company, and we've saved our clients millions over the years in back taxes. If you owe $10,000 or more in back taxes, call my friends right now at the tax doctor and learn more. 800-280-1876. 800-280-1876. 800-280-1876. That's 800-280-1876.
Welcome back to Sports Rockin' Tours. Here again is Stephen Madden. The great football writer Dave Klein is back with us. Dave is the author of The Game of Their Lives, a nonfiction book about the 1958 Giants-Colts game that established pro football as a weekend television staple. For more than three decades, Klein was a sports reporter for the New York Star-Ledger, and for 15 years, he was the editor and publisher of the Giants Newsweekly. The last time Dave was here, he focused on the early days of the Giants franchise, including the 1950s, when the Giants were football's glamour team. Today, Dave and I pick it up in the 1960s. You know, the other thing that was interesting, real interesting in the years of the 60s uh, was the AFL-NFL thing. And, of course, I can remember Frank Gifford doing little pieces as a little kid on CBS. Uh, He was talking about why the NFL was a much better league than the AFL, and he probably was right at the time. But when the Jets signed Namath, were the Giants ticked off? Because they had to know, at least from a PR standpoint, that was going to be problematic. Well, they never spoke about it in those terms, but I'm sure they were. Joe Willie Namath was the biggest name to hit New York in a while. so And it was with the Jets, not the Giants. So the Giants felt a little outmaneuvered, I think. And then them winning the Super Bowl, too, like you said, even though it was the only time they did it. That had to hurt as well because of the toast of the town. Oh, sure. Absolutely. It did. And Namath rubbed it in every chance he got. I know, like, with with some of the AFL guys I know, they cared about that well into the 70s, even when it was AFC, NFC. They wanted to beat somebody from the the old NFL. Was that kind of a a thing, too, um, when you watched them? Did did the Giants want to beat the AFL teams, or it just wasn't a big deal to them? I think it depended on the player. Uh, it was a big deal to many of the players and just another football game to others. I remember Joe Namath could have handled himself a little better. He didn't do very well with the media. He used to call sports writers $200 a week creeps. And, you know, so as a result, uh, he had a lot of uh, criticism from the media. But I think he's a good guy. I just, uh, I've only spoken to him in the beginning. And um, I remember one time after a game, the Giants beat the Jets. I don't remember the year, you'll forgive me. And I walked into the Jets' locker room and I said, Hey, Joe, I see Alabama lost yesterday. He said, What kind of question is that? I said, The last one I'll ever ask you. Wow. And that, that was the end of that. He just wasn't aware enough, I think, to be a media attraction. He, he kind of lived off kind of the fame that Sonny Werblin kind of gave him that PR mode, but as far as a regular guy and uh, one of these uh, locker room guys, he really wasn't that witty on his feet then. No, no. He was outgoing. He was uh, he was boisterous. He was unexpectedly loud. He was brash. But he wasn't, he didn't know how to handle the media, I think. He succeeded in spite of the media. Those 60 years, like we were saying, was tough. Part of the reason was really crummy drafts, right? I mean, they did get Fred Dreyer, but guys like Joe Don Looney and Ricky Thompson. uh, I mean, Joe Don Looney was considered, as far as I had heard, a major failure. Oh, absolutely. Um, There are a lot of funny stories about him, except it wasn't funny to the Giants. One day he told Sherman, I'm not going to practice tomorrow. I know all the plays. And so Sherman sent Y.A. Tittle into his room to talk to him about it. And Allie waited outside for 20 minutes or so. He came back out and 
He said, so? He said, Tittle said, Coach, you know, he makes a lot of sense. I know all the plays, too. I don't think I'm going to practice. <laughs> and right before Sherman had a heart attack, Tittle laughed. He said, I can't talk to him. He's nuts. What did you think of Tittle? I mean, they're talking about a great NFL guy that was around forever and so forth and a tough soldier. He was one of the bravest quarterbacks I knew. I think that's a good way to explain him. Uh, there's that famous uh, photo of him right after he took a hit. He's on his knees with his helmet off and he's bleeding in the forehead. And he got up the next week and played again. I mean, he just, you couldn't hurt him. You could put him out for a little while, but you couldn't hurt him. Yeah, he was like one of those boxers, you see, uh, where you, know, you just can't knock him out. <laughs> no, I think what we should be saying is he was an old-fashioned football player. And there were hundreds like him, and he was one of the last left. Yeah, I mean, we, we talked about Chuck Bednarik and Sam Huff and those people. Yeah, it was kind of the end of an era. Yeah, don't forget Ray Nitschke and right. Alan Amici and Jim Parker and all of those people. You know, just as you've watched the game change over the years, obviously the athletes today are better conditioned, they're bigger and faster. But do you think the game was necessarily or is necessarily better now than it was then? Because it's really a different game, but they, there was some real entertaining stuff in the 60s and 70s. Well, with the speed and the size of the players, the scout once told me they've made the field smaller. You can't get away from anybody anymore. And that makes sense when you think about it. I mean, Sam Huff was an all-pro middle linebacker at 6 feet 1 and 210 pounds. He couldn't even play safety today. You know, the game has also changed a lot in the sense of, uh, just for fun, I remember being out there. I looked at an old uh, Raiders-Steeler game. It was an AFC championship, and my God, there'd be so many penalties right now, the game would take twice as long to play, and I don't think half the guys would have been in the game. That wasn't the immaculate reception game, was it? Oh, God, no. (laughs) That I can't watch. No, this was uh, the 1976 championship when I was a kid went there. Yeah, but, you know, it it just, they hit each other so hard. I mean, they were great games with with those two teams because they didn't like each other, and it just had a different feel, and it's a different game today. Of course it is. It's a safer game. I think I can say that. The helmets are better. The equipment is better. But the people are so big and so fast, it's, I don't know if anybody normal could take a hit from one of those guys and just get up and go back to the huddle. How do you think a guy like Jim Brown, because Jim Brown was a guy, he'd have four or five guys hanging on him as he was running into the end zone. You think he could have played in this, uh, in this game today? Well, of course, he played at 230 pounds. He, he was six feet two. I'm not quite sure what his speed was, but. If he could run through you, he would. Now, the other half of that is the defensive linemen he ran through weren't nearly as big as they are today or as strong. So I'm not sure he would have that much success as he had in his years. But I think he would be an outstanding player today. Let's get back to the Giants and talk about things turning around, which got to be fun. It starts with 1979 drafting of Phil Simms. What was your reaction at the time? Because I remember there was a lot of question of that pick at that time. Well, I thought they took a, um, a gamble. I mean, Moorhead State has never produced a great quarterback. I really think they did the right thing, however, as we know. He worked out fine, and all of a sudden they found other players because Sims made them better. Right, right. They had a wide receiver named Ernest Gray, 
who couldn't have made it very far, but he had Sims throwing the ball to him. And, you know, Sims used to tell his receivers, you get open and look up, the ball will be there. And it was. It's like when Johnny Unitas and Ray Berry used to play. But now, you know, you mentioned Moorhead, and is is that one of the things, that position quarterback, it's always tough because you can, you can draft a big lineman from an unknown college and see, like, well, okay, this person has all the skills and what have you. With quarterback, it's just it's such a different game and it, it, all the stress. You just don't know until you put him in that position. Well, the scouts used to say, in fact, one outstanding scout, a guy named Tom Boyster, who's gone now, he used to say, when you're scouting a quarterback at a small school, the only thing you scout is his mechanics. You can't scout the other team because the linemen aren't that good. The secondary isn't that good. If they were that good, they wouldn't be at a small school. But if you watch the quarterback, how he manipulates the ball, how he moves, how he drops back, you see whether he's got the skills to go forward. And I think that's what they do with a lot of the small school quarterbacks now. In a moment, more with longtime sports reporter for the New York Star-Ledger, Dave Klein. Make sure to search for Sports RACX wherever you listen to podcasts. You're listening to Sports Rockin' Tours with Stephen Maggi nationwide on the Talk Media Network. What if every dollar you invested into your training program turned into $30 of revenue? What if your learning program was so engaging that your employees looked forward to annual trainings? And what if you could monitor the success and effectiveness of your curriculum with quantifiable metrics? Go to training.epsilonxr.com. E-learning has made each of these scenarios possible, utilizing tools such as virtual and augmented reality, simulations, and online instructor-led training provides a safe environment for employees to learn at their own pace. Go to training.epsilonxr.com. Here at EpsilonXR, we have 50 years of experience in creating powerful and effective training programs. We combine proven training methods with cutting-edge technology to create immersive training experiences. Are you ready to take your training program to the next level? Go to training.epsilonxr.com. Training.epsilonxr.com. You are cheap. No, I'm not. You are cheap. No, I'm not. You are cheap. No, I'm not. You are cheap. Well, maybe I am. If you're buying a diamond ring for your wife, it's not cool to be cheap. If you're buying airline tickets, oh, it's very cool to be cheap and called Trip Amigo, where you can fly anywhere in the world and save up to 75% on over 500 airlines and 300,000 hotels, plus rental cars and vacation packages. Visit family, friends, or go on a once-in-a-lifetime vacation. Go ahead, be cheap. We have special fares we're not allowed to publish. When you book your airline reservations with Trip Amigo, you'll spend your travel money when you get there, not by getting there. Call Trip Amigo now and mention the travel code AMIGO and save even more. Call Trip Amigo now. 800-772-4165. 800-772-4165. That's 800-772-4165. 
only Gentle Giants dog food Batman. I'm Burt Ward, Robin from the Batman TV series. I was the caped crusader, and now I'm the canine crusader. After rescuing and feeding 15,500 dogs for 23 years, my wife and I created a natural, low-fat, heart-healthy, made-in-America dog food and special feeding and care program designed to help all dogs live amazingly longer, healthier, happier lives. Our dogs are living as long as 27 healthy, active years. Yours can too. That's twice their normal lifespan and triple for some breeds. Would you like your dog to live as long as 27 years and still be active and healthy? Gentle Giants Dog Food is complete nutrition for all dogs and puppies, all ages and sizes, and is different from other dog foods without the greasy coating and high fat content that can shorten your dog's life. Try our Gentle Giants life-enhancing dog food for the longer, healthier, happier life of your dog. You're listening to Sports Rock'em Tours. Now, here again is Stephen Maggi. Welcome back to Sports and Tours. You are listening to Dave Klein, who was the New York Giants beat writer for the Star-Ledger from 1961 to 1995. Bill Parcells, uh, that was definitely the right pick, and that changed everything. Oh, absolutely. When, absolutely. When you met Parcells, did you have the feeling like, did you think like it feels like it's going to change here? Do you just... Get an idea of that, a guy, a guy like Parcells? Well, he made everybody believe it was going to change. He was very tough. He was your typical definition of a Jersey guy. Taylor, the best player you, you've seen in all that time? Defensively, absolutely. He is an incredible player. And, you know, everybody you talk to, it seems like on the, like you're right, on the defensive side of the ball, there really isn't much question. I mean, there's arguments, obviously. And how do you compare a quarterback with a linebacker? That's difficult. But when it came to guy, a guy on defense, it made, it made a difference. It's just like you couldn't stop him. You had, to, you had to put two or three guys on him just to keep him, you know, away from your quarterback. Well, there was one offensive tackle on the Eagles who said he was retiring at the end of the season. And one of the reporters said, why? You're only 30 years old. He said, the reason I'm retiring is Lawrence Taylor. Yeah. I've got his cleat marks all over my chest. And, you know, I remember Parcells, to show you how little I knew about football, he used to, every Friday, he would have a, no reporter allowed to write anything, but you can ask him anything you want. So on Friday, this was during the time when Lawrence Taylor and Leonard Marshall were the two best pass rushers in the league. So I very stupidly said, Coach, if they're the two best in the league, why do you play them on the same side of the line. Why not put one on the other side? He said, I'll answer that when everybody's gone. So everybody left, and he looked at me and he says, Dave, that was a really stupid question. I said, why? He said, because if I put them on opposite ends of the line, they can both get double teamed. So this way, when they're behind each other, you can only double team one of them. Did you appreciate him calling you aside and not doing that in, in, uh, you know, in front of everybody else or what have you? I think the phrase is eternally grateful. And not everybody will do that. This, there were some coaches, uh, I remember covering the 49ers when Walsh was there. He wouldn't let that go. <laughs> I just, I didn't care who was asking it to. And, That's right. You know, a lot of coaches enjoy that. Yeah. They enjoy ridiculing the media. So of all those coaches, was Parcells your, your favorite one to, to work with? Or were, um, you know, you go Parcells, back to... Parcells and Sherman. John McVay was pretty good. See, the way I qualify them is, is different than most people. I need to know they're cooperative and they're honest with with their answers and they're available to be interviewed. And, you know, Alex was terrific, but he just didn't know anything about football, about the coaching of it. 
it is different. You you can't necessarily because you play doesn't necessarily make you a good coach. No, Alex's first game was a preseason game in San Diego, and I don't remember if they won or lost, but it was close. And afterwards, in the locker room, somebody from San Diego said to ask Alex to explain why he did this at that time. And again, I don't remember the details. And Alex said. I don't know, ask Klein, he knows about football. Well, you know, I didn't want to be put on the spot, and I didn't want Alex to show that he didn't really know very much, but boy, could he drink. <laughs> yeah, he had a good reputation in that, as I, re- as I recall, reading about Oh, uh, he was a great guy. Yeah, and it, it, it's fun going back to that. And, and I, I want to ask you, because you've gone through all these years, when you see the changes, like, let's, you mentioned preseason games. A preseason game in the 60s was different than they are today, right? I mean, they actually tried to win those in the 60s, and uh, now uh, they're almost an insult to charge people to go and see them, you know, at full price anyway. Well, I always thought that. uh, They call them exhibition games in the beginning, and that's really what they were. And 80% of the guys on the field were going to be packing uh, groceries two weeks later. You know, it was a way for the coaches to get yet another idea of who should make the team and who shouldn't. The fact that they charge full-season prices has always been outrageous. Oh, absolutely. I mean, at one time where the ticket price was, they say, seven or eight bucks, okay, you know, but now when you're talking about hundreds of dollars, it's, it, and now they don't even play the, they used to play the, the starters a little bit. Now, some of these teams won't play the starters at all. No, you're right. So let's talk uh, a little about Coughlin. He almost lost the job before he won the two Super Bowls, and what was that like? Because I understand he wasn't really the most pleasant guy initially when he first started. Well, he was a military guy. He looked like a military guy. He acted like a military guy. If he said, be there at 10 o'clock, you had to be there at 10 to 10, or else you're late. He always did that to the players, and they complained about it, and eventually they began to see that what he was doing was correct. You have to be disciplined. Well, that's sort of so, like Lombardi's, the Lombardi time, right? Didn't Lombardi- yeah, I think he kind of respected Lombardi from a distance. I think Coughlin was a very good manager of players. He knew what to do with them. He knew how to treat them. He never got too friendly with any of them. He didn't think it was his job to be friends with them. He's their coach. And other coaches try to be friends, and it doesn't work because then the players inevitably take advantage. Well, as we look at this whole long period of time, it kind of ends in the Eli Manning era. That was another one of those uh, selections. That was Ernie Accorsi. That worked out real well, too. I mean, this guy was just a winner. Yeah, he was. And I've often wondered if they had stayed with the original plan and if San Diego had taken Eli and the Giants had taken Philip Rivers, how much worse could it have been? Yeah, it, it would have been interesting. Uh, but Ma- Manning just seemed like the right fit. I mean, those, those two Super Bowl wins... You know, they're going in as, as decided underdogs, and uh, it was his leadership that was was a big part of winning those games. Absolutely, and don't forget Lawrence Taylor. I think the defenses were equally responsible for winning those Super Bowls. There's a funny story about Tom Brady getting getting beat up by the defense, and at one point, a defensive end named Osi Uminyara, he sacks Brady for about the third time, and they're laying on the ground, and Brady says, uh, Osi, why don't you slow down a little bit? And Osi says, well, I will, Tom, if you hold the ball a little longer. And it was just, I think the Giants had the had the Patriots beaten when they walked on the field. Yeah, it, it sort of felt that way, didn't it? I mean, they weren't afraid of him, and I think it seems like everybody else was. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, before we go here, just a couple of things, having gone through 60 years in the league. First of all, working with teams and so forth, I remember the days, again, back in the late 70s and early 80s at that time, uh, you could go in a locker room, you get to know people and stuff. It's changed a lot, hasn't it? I mean, it really doesn't work the same way. It's more difficult to get close to these guys. Everything is structured. Everything is a appointment. Everything is an interview time. I remember you could walk into the players' rooms in the dorms at training camp, and if you tried to do that now, you'd get handcuffed. You know, it's just, it is very, very different, and I'm not sure it's better. I remember with the Raiders, if you wanted to find out what's going on, you went over to Art Shell. You know, Upshaw would tell you all the PR stuff, but you'd go to Shell to get what was really going on. Did you have a few guys on the team that, if you really wanted to get a feel for what was going on, ups and downs, you could go to them? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I'll make a confession. Um, Giants had a quarterback just for a couple of years named Lee Grosscup. Oh, yeah. <laughs> just passed away recently. Very, very friendly guy, easy to be with, and we got to have some chemistry together. So one day they were going into a special team meeting because they lost three in a row or something, and I gave Lee my little tape recorder. Mm. I said, why don't you take this in with you? And uh, he did. Wow. <laughs> and I got all the things that Sherman had to say, and I wrote them the next day. And the reporter said, how'd you learn all that stuff? I said, well, Sherman called me that night. I wasn't going to indict. No, of course Gross not. Cup, yeah. <laughs> they have an insight about that. Well, Gross Cup was a, was a smart guy. I mean, I remember he, he did broadcasting for a while, college level, pro level, and he was in the AFL for a little bit. Uh, he was yeah. just a smart guy, wasn't a superstar, but always could manage to get a job. Yes, absolutely. And he was one of those, the multitude of talented but not brilliant athletes in the NFL. Well, you know, you said something before which really struck me, that all the speed and the power has sh- shrunk the field, and that makes a lot of sense. What do you think about the way the officiating is handled? And I'm not so much talking about the actual officials, but the idea of all the penalties and the cameras and so forth. It doesn't seem like it solved the problem. Well, years ago, somebody said that if they called every holding penalty they saw, the games would take six hours to play. So I think officials for a while were using judgment as to whether it really affected the play or not. Now, with all these cameras and replays hanging over their heads, I think they feel compelled to call whatever they see, whether it affected the game or not. And yes, I do think there are too many penalties. I mean, it's a contact sport. Why don't you let them contact each other? If you, again, look back, I challenge anybody to go back into the 1960s and watch some game, any game, and what you'll notice is the players aren't complaining every two minutes either. And that kind of lends itself to that, right? Because what do you got to lose? You throw a complaint, you know, hopefully you get somebody to to rethink it and kind of keep them on edge. Yeah, I agree with that. It's uh, another tool that they use now. What a fascinating time. Dave, uh, the book, 60 Years of Living with the Giants, when do you expect that to be released? Probably November. And uh, best of luck with the book, and uh, thank you for sharing all the great memories with us. Thanks very much. I enjoyed it. Follow us on all social media platforms, including Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And thanks for listening today. This is Stephen Maggi.
The old way of living with diabetes is a pain. You've got to remember to do your testing, and you always need to be sticking your fingers. The new way to live your life with diabetes is with a continuous glucose monitor. You simply apply a discreet, easy-to-use sensor on your body, and it continuously monitors your glucose levels, helping you spend more time in range and freeing you from painful finger pricks. If you test your blood sugar at least four times per day and inject insulin at least three times per day or use an insulin pump and have private insurance or Medicare, you might be eligible for a CGM with little or no cost to you. Call U.S. Medical Supply today for a free benefits check. We offer free shipping, 90-day supplies, and we bill Medicare or your insurance directly. Call now and say goodbye to finger pricks. 800 Want to be a movie producer? Faith Wins is an exciting new screenplay. It's a rags to riches, back to rags, back to riches, onward to redemption story. Written by longtime comedy greats Rich Natoli and John Pate, Faith Wins is the feel-good story of the year, with proceeds of the film to benefit homeless people and homeless animals in Las Vegas. But we need your help to get the movie made. Go to GoFundMe.com and type in Faith Wins in the search box. GoFundMe.com and type Faith Wins in the search box. Homelessness is a big, big problem in the U.S. Let's put the spotlight where it belongs and make a real difference together. Go to GoFundMe.com and type Faith Wins in the search box. We can do this because Faith Wins. An adult elephant can weigh up to six tons. The average person, 150 pounds. Ever heard of carfentanil? It's a large wild animal tranquilizer. Illegal drug dealers lace heroin with it. It can kill the average human. If you or a loved one is addicted to opiates, even pain pills, don't wait until it's too late. Call the Detox and Treatment Helpline now. We care. Many of us have been where you are. We'll take you or a loved one away from the drug environment to a place you can clean out safely. Plus, we'll work with your insurance company to make sure you get the treatment you need. And with a Family Medical Leave Act, you're allowed by law to get away for help without telling your employer why. Call now to save a life. 877-927-3380. 877-927-3380. That's 877-927-3380. KSHP shows are now available on all of the major podcasting platforms like iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Podcast, Radiohead, and more. Simply search for KSHP on any of the major platforms and you can listen to past episodes of all your favorite KSHP programs, including Sports Rock and Tours.